Well, good morning again, everyone. Thanks for coming out this morning. Turn with me in your Bibles, or swipe to your Bibles, whichever you have, to Isaiah chapter 11. We are finally back in our study through Isaiah. We're going to look at verses 11 through 10 this morning. And before we start, let's, let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Lord God, we again thank you for this morning, for the time of fellowship that we've had up to this point, the time of worship. Uh, we pray, Lord God, that you have been blessed and honored by our singing and, and just reminded in our singing how unworthy we are to receive your blessing and glory and salvation it, itself. But we thank you for that, that you've given us such a great gift. And we look forward to its full consummation, Lord, when you return to take us home. And we ask that you would speak to us now as we glimpse into your word through the prophet Isaiah. And we ask that you would speak to us in a powerful way. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Like I said, Isaiah chapter 11, looking at verses 1 through 10. And the title of this morning's message is The Promise of Peace. I think that's something we're all looking for. I remember just this week after getting home, you know, probably similar to everyone else, just a crazy day at work, just all the stuff going on that keeps you occupied and focused on just what's going on in your life at the moment, work-related, that I got to take my son out to the park, Jonathan, and he was riding his bike. And it was just a, a really nice day. There was nobody at the park, and it was a park in, a, in our neighborhood. And he was just riding his bike, you know, just peacefully. Remember when you were a little kid, you just zoom around on your bike. And it was really nice. And then I noticed that the mountains behind, you know, up in the sky behind our, our neighborhood. And then the clouds were kind of like just hugging. and They looked like they were crawling over the mountains. And it was just a nice day and just kind of like soaking it all in. And, just, and it's so peaceful here. And you can hear the birds chirping. And there were, for some reason, there were like no cars coming down the street and, and nobody else. Seriously, nobody in, in our neighborhood has like a ghost town almost. But it was so peaceful and calm and nice. And I was just reminded to like, you know what? Just sometimes you just have to like take it in the moment. Like just rest and take in the moment and look at God's beautiful creation and be thankful for what you have. You know, my son could ride around in a park peaceably and not worry about being hit by a car. or Just all the craziness that goes on in our world. And I was reminded of that as I was studying to teach this morning because in the midst of what we're going to look at, in the midst of all the craziness that's going on for the nation of Israel, bringing it now to our context, that God again is offering them the promise of peace. That, hey, in the future, Israel, there's going to be a peaceful time. And by extension for each and every one of us, as I prayed we're going to experience the full consummation of God's peace in a much greater way than just me sitting at a park enjoying the scenery and the calmness and the quietness. That's our eternity, and it's amazing to think about. So let's look exactly at this story this morning, just by way of background. Again, the nation of Israel in chapter 10 had been told that the nation of Syria was going to come in and attack them for their disobedience to God. It was judgment on them. And then God was telling Assyria, because you've come in and attacked and t totally trying to destroy, that they're going to do that, destroy the nation Israel, you guys are going to be punished. And then in the midst of all this chaos, again, God gives them this great 
promise, meaning Israel. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So let's read through verses 1 through 10, and then we'll come back and explain it like we always do, and then find some application. So again, with that background, this is what the Lord says to the prophet Isaiah. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord, and he will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. And the righteousness will be the belt about his loins, and faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the wean child will put his hand on the viper's den, and they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea. Then in that day the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and a resting place, excuse me, and his resting place will be glorious." probably some familiar verses that you've heard before in chapter 11. As you can see, the the picture that's being painted of this peaceful kingdom that is coming to the future of the nation of Israel. So now with that, let's go back and look and, and dissect this a little bit and see what's happening. So in the very beginning, verse 1, Isaiah promises of this coming Messiah, this coming king that was going to deliver them. And it says where he's coming from. It gives a little bit of a background of what family line this Messiah is going to come from. And you'll see in verse 1, it says, Then a shoot will spring forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Well, who is Jesse? You may remember he's the father of King David. So these are messianic titles here in verse 1 that are given about the Messiah. That's why they know it's the Messiah. They would have been very familiar with these terms the nation Israel would have. So again, Jesse is is the father of King David. And if you remember that God promised King David that his line or his kingdom would never end. Let me give you a verse where it talks about that. And that's in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, where God is speaking to King David and says, "...in your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established." So this was a promise that, hey, from your children, your, your ancestors, King David, once, or your, excuse me, your descendants, once you are gone, they will always rule, they will always, they've always ruled, they will always sit on the throne, and they will rule the nation Israel. And so this is what he is talking about here in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, that from Jesse's loins, from, which is King David, and then eventually the Messiah, 
will come about. And so it's a messianic term that he's talking about here. It's not just another king like all that they've been having, by the way. This is actually the king is going to be like David. If you notice in verse 1, real quick here, it says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, a lot of times when they're talking about the kings of Israel, they say like their father David. Never are they referred to as sons of Jesse. This is the first time a king from the nation of Israel will be referred to as the son of Jesse. Why is that? Who's the son of Jesse? David. So the Messiah is going to be like King David. That's interesting to note. This is the only time that a king of Israel is referred to like that. In the second part there, a branch from, the, from his roots where, will bear fruit. Again, this is another messianic title. title. If you look in Jeremiah 23, verse 5, it says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall rise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. So again, just two messianic titles that I wanted you to be aware of. Again, this is the background. And so the nation of Israel, the people that are being talked to at this time, would understand who is coming. It's somebody different than all the kings that they have had. And that's a good thing, because if you know the history of the nation of Israel, all the kings up to this point, except for a few of them, have been pretty bad. And they led them to this point of being judged. So let's move on from there. I want to point out something. Let's go down to verse 2. So this is the background. This is who, who's coming. What will he be like? What will his character be, this new king that they're looking for? Well, verse 2 it shows us. It says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So what's going on here? The Spirit of God, whenever the Old Testament talks about the Spirit of God, what they're saying is that the person is acting in a capacity which is more than merely human. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon them, and they've done, they're doing something that's different than a human would do. So it's giving them divine characteristics. That's what the Messiah is going to do when he comes. And then it gives all these descriptions of the characters of what he will be like. He's going to have wisdom and understanding and counsel and strength and knowledge. What are all these descriptions telling us? Well, they're symbolic that he's going to be perfectly filled with God's spirit. Unlike any other king that they've had. He's going to have all these characteristics on him because he is the Messiah. And again, I want to point out one specifically. It says he will have a spirit that fears the Lord. So unlike the earthly kings, his whole desire is going to be to please God because he fears the Lord. He honors God. He reveres God so much that he wants to do nothing but please the Lord God. So he's going to be different from anything that they've experienced before. You know, in Proverbs, Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And so this Messiah, this king, is going to have the spirit of the Lord upon him. He's going to fear the Lord, and he's going to operate from that. So that's his characteristics. So he's the Messiah. He's going to be filled with the spirit of God. He's going to be perfect. And what is he going to do? He's going to rule. Look at verses 3 through 5. tells us how he's going to rule, how he's going to carry out his Messiahship, so to speak. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. So he will delight 
and the fear of the Lord. Again, he's going to rule in a place of putting the Lord first. All that he does is about God, about putting God first. So that's how he's going to rule. He's not going to be ruling from a, a selfishness or he's not going to have a political party that he's aiming to please. He's not going to have lobbyists in there trying to tell him what to do. We're all familiar when we're all familiar with crooked politicians, right? He's not going to be like that, Isaiah is telling them. He is, matter of fact, he's going to be totally different. Look at the rest of the verses here in verse 4. It shows you how he's going to rule. Actually, go back to verse 3. He will not judge by what his eyes see, and nor will he make decisions by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. Basically what it's saying is that this ruler won't be taking bribes. He's not going to be, you know, convinced to do something else. No, he's operating again from the fear of the Lord and he's going to do what's right. You can't trick him. You can't fool him. You can't persuade him to do something other. No, he's not going to judge like that. He's going to be totally different. He's going to judge fairly. He's going to judge righteously. And matter of fact, scripture tells us here, go down to verse, let's look at verse five. It's kind of a summary of how he's going to rule. It says, also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. What is that telling us? That's telling us that he's righteous and he's faithful. I was thinking of, I'm going to forget it now, the song that we had just sung about how faithful God was, that he, you know, well, what was that last song? I knew I was going to forget it. But anyways, you sung about it. You know what I'm talking about. We sing, you know, just how consistent God is, how he doesn't forget his promises. Despite what we do, he still holds to his promises. And that's what Isaiah is saying here in verse 5. He's righteous. He's going to do the right thing. He has the right spirit, and he's always going to operate doing the right things for his people, and he's going to be faithful. He's firm. You can trust him. He's steady. He's not going to let you down, and what he says is going to happen. As a matter of fact, back in verse 4, it says, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. I like that. Because that's what's saying, whatever God says is going to happen. When he pronounces judgment, nobody can change it. It reminds me of what Isaiah said in chapter 40, verse 8, where he says, The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of God stands forever. What God says goes, and nothing can change it. And I like that. And so this is the type of king that Israel is going to have, that they have to look forward to. So what is this kingdom going to be like when he rules like this? What would a kingdom look like? That's what's described in verses 6 through 9. And let's look at that. He gives us a description here. It's going to be one of peace. If you go back to look at the imagery that's described, you see all these animals lying together who were at one time enemies. Like some of these animals would eat the other animals. And now they're going to be lying together in perfect peace. And it even says, you know, he has a picture of a little child reaching his hole, uh, reaching his hand down the hole of a snake. You imagine if you saw your child playing near a snake's hole? I mean, the parent would go and grab them, right? No, don't do that. You're going to get bit. 
But no, it's, it's this imagery of perfect peace. Again, going back to my story that I started with, when I was just watching Jonathan ride his bike without a care in the world, and I didn't have a care in the world because there was nobody around. You know, there was nothing that could harm him. It was just peaceful. Just think of that peacefulness and just escalate it probably a million times. That's the peace that's going to happen when Messiah comes. Again, a wolf will dwell with the lamb. That's not normal, right? A leopard will lie down with the goat and the calf and young lion and the fatling together. When the Messiah comes, he's going to change the order of everything. This is what Isaiah is depicting here. And it's going to be total peace. Matter of fact, look at verse 9. It says, They will not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of knowledge and of the Lord as waters cover the sea. Again, it's going to be totally different when Messiah comes. This is what the picture is. Safety, security. And then the knowledge of God is going to be spread out in all the land. Everybody's going to know about the Lord and know who He is. This is what Isaiah is depicting for Israel. And I like what it says in verse 10. Look at that very last line in verse 10. It says, His resting place will be glorious. Again, just imagine that. Just imagine perfect peace. You know, again, we get little glimpses of it. And then John prayed this morning in his prayer about little glimpses of God and all the things that God does in his power. And we get little glimpses of peace in our life. But just imagine that magnified forever without disturbance, never ending. And I think that's why Isaiah is saying here, and his resting place will be glorious. That word resting place, I was looking that up as I was preparing this sermon. And sometimes it's the Hebrew word commentators say that can be translated home or waters of home or waters of resting places. It's the same word used to describe when the ark rested on Mount Ararat. And it's also used to describe the promised land. So it's like you've arrived at your rest finally. And he's saying it's going to be glorious when Israel's there. The final resting place. It's kind of like when you hit your bed at the end of a long day. You're like, oh, this is glorious. Or when you get to nap after church. Or maybe that's just me. Like, oh, this is glorious. It's like that. But again, it's just nonstop. It's your resting place. So the question becomes, well, when will this happen, right? I mean, because it sounds really great. And here Isaiah is telling Israel about this, and they may be saying, okay, Isaiah, when is this happening? Because we see Assyria coming, and you've foretold that we're going to be destroyed, and now you're saying that Messiah is going to come, and this is what's going to happen. And so he gives them when this will happen. Look at verse 10. He says, then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. In that day. Well, what does he mean by that day? Well, again, he says, then that day when, let's look at it one more time, when the nations will resort to the root of Jesse. Now, earlier he called, he called the Messiah, he, that he came from Jesse. This is something to notice. And here he's saying that Jesse came from him. Do you notice that? Look at verse 10 one more time. The nations will resort to the root of Jesse. So Jesse's coming from this root. 
But in verse 1, he says, this person comes from Jesse. Do you see where I'm going with that? How can the Messiah come from something, come from Jesse, and then Jesse come from the Messiah? I think it's just a little glimpse into who God is, you know, that God made Jesse. In his divinity, he made Jesse. And then in God's humanity, when he becomes Christ, because this is who we're going to talk about, he comes from the line of Jesse. Just a little side note on that. So, when will this happen? It says in verse 10, who will stand, this root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the people. In some translations, it talks about being a banner. When he's held up, when Messiah is lifted up and calls people to himself. So when he's lifted up, that's when it's going to happen. So, as I've already mentioned, the Messiah has already come in the person of Jesus Christ. This is who Isaiah is talking about. He is the promised son of Jesse. As a matter of fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, the very first verse, Matthew says, chapter 1, verse 1, that the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. These are two very significant fathers for the Jewish people. And when Matthew was writing his gospel, he was writing it to the nation of Israel to prove that the Messiah, or that Jesus was the Messiah, the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And that's why he's called the son of David. In the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the son of David in recognition of him being Messiah. As a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 1, look at verse 68 of Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at a few verses in the New Testament here. This is when Jesus was presented at the temple and Simeon grabs him and makes this great, great pronouncement starting in verse 68. He says, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and he has raised up, look at this, a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. So he's saying this when Jesus is presented here at the temple. And he has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. And that's what we're reading about right now. Isaiah was one of those holy prophets. So again, here in the Gospels, Jesus is presented as this Messiah. I like that. And then finally, you guys remember in Matthew 21, at Jesus' triumphal entry, when he was coming on a donkey and the multitudes, it says, were going before him. And those who followed after were crying and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, all these New Testament verses are confirming that Jesus is the Messiah and he's the son of David. These titles were given him. This is what Isaiah was talking about. And going back to that root of Jesse and then Jesse coming from this root, in Revelation 22.5, Jesus confirms that David comes from him and that he comes from David when he says, I am the root and the descendant of David. Jesus himself acknowledges that he is the Messiah. I don't think it can be stated more clearly of who Jesus is. So this Messiah has come in the person of Jesus Christ. So the question now becomes, well, Isaiah said he's going to be held up as a sign that when Jesus is held up or raised up, He's going to draw people for himself. Do you know that Jesus actually said that in John chapter 12? Look at this. John chapter 12. 
verses 31 and 32. It says this. Let me find it here. Starting in verse 31. Oh, I'm in John 21. John 12 says this. It says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the rule of this world will be cast out. And then in verse 32, And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. So here he's fulfilling that prophecy. Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, and when was he lifted up? When he was on the cross. He will draw all men to himself. I think this is what Isaiah was prophesying about, and maybe not really understanding the full range of what he was saying. But Jesus says, hey, when I'm lifted up, I'm going to draw all people to myself. This is how he refers to that. And there are other verses in John where he talks about being lifted up for the world. So, when was this going to happen? Well, Jesus is saying he's the Messiah. The scriptures are saying that he is the Messiah to come. And he's saying when I'm lifted up on the cross, that's when he's going to begin drawing people to himself. And we're still kind of wondering, at least as I was saying this, well then where's all this peacefulness? Because right now if Jesus is lifted up and drawing all men to himself, Isaiah also talks about all this peace and serenity. When is that going to take place? It hasn't taken place yet, has it? Or has it? Well, I'm going to argue that if Jesus has been lifted up and he's drawing all men to himself, and we know by him being our Lord that he already rules and reigns in the hearts of his people. So in one sense, we experience some of the things that Isaiah talked about, but there's a time in the future where we'll be fully consummated and we'll experience in its just fullness. Let me give you some examples. So if Jesus currently rules and reigns in the hearts of his people, let me ask you who are his people, don't you experience don't you experience that character that we talked about through the fellowship of the Lord? Don't you experience that Jesus is divine counsel in your life? Don't you experience his strength? Do you experience the wisdom and understanding of the Lord? And do you understand his knowledge that he's revealed to you. All those things that Jesus talked about, I think, it, well, I know if you're a believer, you experience those things in some sense now. Maybe not all the time fully, but when you're in a relationship with the Lord and you're spending time with the Lord, don't you experience his divine counsel and his strength and his wisdom and his understanding? Don't we experience peace and freedom in the Lord that he's already given to us? Don't you have peace with God? Don't you have peace of mind? Maybe not fully all the time, but do you know that no matter what happens in your life, that no matter what happens, even if you were to die, what's going to happen? To be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. The worst thing that can happen to us is what? If we die, and then we go to be with the Lord. There's nothing to fear in that. We have that peace of mind. And don't you experience when you came to Christ, peace with God, and as you walk with the Lord, you experience peace in your relationships? Oh, they're not going to be perfect, but doesn't God mend relationships? Doesn't he heal broken families and broken marriages as both people submit to the Lord? We do experience peace and strength and victory and freedom in the Lord. Don't you experience rest in the Lord as well? Aren't you no longer striving to be good enough to be accepted by God? 
Remember, it was Jesus himself that said, Come to me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, I will give you what? Rest. I'll put my yoke upon you. It's easy and it's light. We experience rest in the sense that we're no longer trying to make it into the kingdom of God by doing religious things. Like, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to Bible study. I'm going to church. I'm worshiping God. I'm giving when offering is, is asked for. Those things don't bring you into salvation with the Lord. You do those as a result of your salvation. So that's the rest that we experience now in some sense. We are no longer striving, again, to, to be good enough. He has given us His righteousness, and we can trust in that and rest in that. But guess what? That's not it. The best is yet to come. Because all those things that Isaiah talked about, I believe, will be experienced at the second coming of our Lord. See, one day, the prophecy that Isaiah gave in those latter verses, through three all the way down, will be experienced in the fullest sense. Again, we will see the Lord face to face. We will see Him. We will see and experience true justice. And we will experience absolute peace and safety. And guess what? It's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. Let me close with just a few verses that describe all these things. And if you know, we've read these, we read these frequently because they're just applicable to what we've been studying. Go to the book of Revelation, starting in verse 21. This is the description of all these things that Isaiah prophesied in their fullest sense, finally being realized. In Revelation 21, we're going to look at a few different verses. They're going to describe what I just said, that we're going to see the Lord face to face. We're going to experience and see justice, and we're going to experience absolute peace and safety. So in Revelation 21, starting in verse 1, he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. So here's that. We're going to see the Lord face to face. What Isaiah was talking about, the knowledge of the Lord, finally. You're going to know him just like we know each other, or we see each other. Continuing on in verse 4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. See, we're going to experience all that justice and peace and safety. Drop down now to verse 22 of chapter 1. He continues on and says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, the Lamb, is its temple. And the city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated, and the lamp is the Lamb. And nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring glory into it. In daytime, there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. Again, those are depictions of safety and peace. You don't have to lock your doors anymore. Moving on, verse 20. And they will bring glory and honor 
and the nations into it, and nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination or lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So here the Apostle John is describing what this is, this is heaven, this is reality, what it's going to look like in his, you know, trying to describe what he sees. And then let's look at the next four verses in chapter 22. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there was no longer any curse and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his bondservants will serve him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. That's a depiction of all that. I mean, that's the consummation of what Isaiah is talking about. If the lion and, or the, the wolf and the lamb are going to lie together, that's when it is going to be, at the full consummation at the Lord's second coming. And guess what? Just like Isaiah said, for each and every one of us, and that resting place, it's going to be glorious. Again, just imagine the most peaceful thing that you can think of, the most beautiful place you've ever been, and just magnify that. And that's going to be our resting place. My wife is reading a book, a book called Heaven by Randy Alcorn. That's something that I, I was looking through today, this morning, and I was like, i got to read this book, because it's, it's all about heaven. It's all about our future home and what it's going to be like. We only get a glimpse of it here in Revelation and, and in Isaiah, but it's going to be glorious. And it's for all those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this morning, as we close, I want to say this. If, if you're hearing this and you're like, well, I don't have that relationship with God. I don't know who the Lord is. I don't experience His divine counsel and strength and wisdom. Well, then I would say maybe you don't really have a true relationship with the Lord. Maybe you don't know who He is. And I would encourage you this morning to give your life to him because this is the destiny of all those who do. You will have all these things that we've talked about this morning if you just trust in him. And for those of us that already trust in him, we, this should be something that we praise God for because that is our future. That is the end. I mean, that's, that's the end of the Bible right there. That's our story. No matter what happens between now and then, that's our future. That's where we're going. And again, it's going to be glorious. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the prophet Isaiah who is faithful to record what you said and to share it with the nation of Israel. And I thank you, Lord, for preserving your word so that we could read it and understand it and look forward to its full consummation, which we will experience. And so we thank you for that, Lord. We pray that you would just watch over us and bless us as we continue to live in this world until you return. And Lord, I pray this morning for anyone in here who does not yet truly know you, who has never believed on you and the work that you accomplished through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that they would cry out to you and realize that they need you. They need your forgiveness. They need your healing and rest and peace. And I pray that they would stop running or straying away from you. And they would bow down and give you their life. And they would understand, Lord God, what they have in store for them. And I pray that you would give them peace even now in this world and rest 
and they would catch little glimpses of heaven here on earth and they would be excited that one day you will return and it's going to be glorious. So we thank you for that, Lord, and ask that you would bless the remainder of our service. And we pray this in your name. Amen.